Hey everyone, it's Tom Karadza. So on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down and have a little economic chit-chat. And uh, the reason we're calling it a chit-chat is because it's not a full economic update. Some of, uh, some of you listening to this probably know that we give a full economic update at our Your Life, Your Terms events uh, throughout the year. That takes quite a while to put together, and we've been doing that since about 2008. And the reason we started doing that is we were caught off guard by the financial crisis back then, and we said, you know, never again. Our, our family had a history of being caught off guard by financial crises, and we thought, why, you know, why don't we take matters into our own hand and study this stuff a little bit more in depth and try to get a handle on the broader macroeconomic picture. And that's what we did. And we give those updates to rockstar members that we work with throughout the year. Um, it's become a really popular thing. And on this episode of the show, what we are doing is just kind of chatting about the economy, referencing some of the stats that we look at. You'll hear us uh, discuss some of our family's history and that kind of stuff. And you'll also hear us mention a report because we start talking about the destruction of the middle class in Canada. And we took some stats from uh, Stats Canada and from um, TREB, the Toronto Real Estate Board, just to map out how incomes aren't keeping up with property prices. And we put a report together. If you want to see those charts and graphs, the URL, we got somewhat confused on which URL to share with you guys. Um, on the uh, on the podcast, it's www.nomoremiddle.com. So nomoremiddle.com is where you can get that report. And uh, there's a couple other quick announcements before we get started. We have the Rockstar Entrepreneur Summit coming up. This is our second um, annual Rockstar Entrepreneur Summit. So this is a two-day, full two-day event. Um, we're gonna we're just about to lock down the location. It's going to be on the west side of Toronto. Um, the details for that you can find at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash summit. S-U-M-M-I-T, so rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash summit. If you're thinking about starting your own business, if you're in business already and you want to grow your business, um, this is something that we believe is offering a lot of value. The reason we're doing it again is because last year during the first one, we had, I think, almost half the people sign up again for this year without having dates or content or speakers or anything. So the feedback was really good. It made us want to do it again. And um, we travel all around North America to different conferences, business conferences, mastermind meetings, marketing conferences. So this is our opportunity to collect all that information and share it. And it's not just theory. This is stuff that we're using ourselves um, to grow our own businesses. So um, this is kind of real world on the street stuff where we're sharing actual data. So if you're looking for um, a place to get entrepreneurial updates, entrepreneurial skills, business building skills, marketing skills, this is something you're probably going to want to check out. Um, rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash summit has all the details for you there. And um, I think that's it. Hopefully you enjoy this. We kind of meandered all over the place on this, uh, on this talk. And uh, with that, let's get right into it. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, so we're going to start this, Nick. So just everyone should know that we're not economists and we're here to talk to you about the economy. So uh, Nick, with that set up, um, you ready to do this? We are serious. We're serious about the economy, but we're not economists. Yeah, no, absolutely. You um, and and when, when because I, we feel like we've been ripped off. For well, years. me too. You know, and I get worked <laughs> up about it. But when I hear, I, I think at least to me, you definitely get more worked up about it than uh, I do. You know, someone was asking me why I get so worked up about this stuff, like interest rates and inflation, and I think it's really because I saw how our family almost lost everything when the real estate market collapsed in 1990. I saw how far, how, how hard our father was working. Um, and then I saw him going with our mom, buying properties to flip properties. I mean, he was driving it. Let's face it. He was driving that whole thing. Oh, for sure, yeah. And then 1990 hit in Toronto, which was the worst uh, real estate crash in Canada's history, um, right here in Toronto. And uh, our family lost, almost lost everything, almost completely went bankrupt. And uh, I think it just scarred me. So you would, I would have been 12 then. You would have been, what's that, 17? 
Yeah, around 17, because I was driving around when we were trying to fill that property. Yeah, because I don't remember as much of it. I do remember that it was stressful times in the household, for sure. Um, I probably remember definitely less detail, because at 12, you're not following the economy as much. You were watching Thundercats. Uh, Thundercats was a pretty good show. Thundercats was awesome. They should put that back on. You know what they still have uh, as, uh, as a sign? They have Inspector Gadget, a new version of Inspector Gadget. Cartoon? Yeah. yeah. yeah obviously, Cartoon yeah. is not a human. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. From I, I saw like a preview for it or something. I didn't know. I'm trying to get my kids to watch it so I can watch it with them. Inspector Gadget. No, no, no. no. Um, okay. Sorry. Um, yeah. But yeah. The, we'll edit that out. Yeah. No, just leave it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that episode kind of scarred me badly because, uh, you know, just getting a tenant in that house, our family, the finances. And then I had this other episode where I knew I didn't, I still didn't understand money. So I felt like I wasn't understanding money for whatever reason at that point. I, I don't know if it was a clear thought, but I definitely realized there was more to money than, than I understood. And then in 19, the lead up when I started working in the tech industry, 1998, 1999, my Oracle shares and some NASDAQ stuff that I had bought started going through the roof and I came home and I told my, uh, we, I just got married and I told my wife, hey, we're going to buy our first house like we planned and great news. This tech stocks are going up so much. We're going to be able to put like a 40% down payment on our first house. And I remember thinking like, I think I'm, I don't know what I thought rich meant, but I remember thinking, oh my God, like this feels kind of like I'm rich or something. Like I'm, I never dreamed that I could put 40% down payment. There was a four bedroom house in Mississauga for $268,000. And it was a big, big expense for, I mean, looking back now, it seems like free. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I think anyone would take that. But at the time it was monstrous. And, uh, I mean, leaving university, my first job was, uh, 35,000 a year. So, you know, after tax, that, that just seemed like a, a big, uh, big investment. And then when the NASDAQ and the, my Oracle shares crashed um, and that all vanished in front of me, I was devastated again. I felt like I was back. It's funny because that in 1990, our father went through that. And then the year 2000, I felt like I got like sideswiped again. And that's when I just started. It was right around that time I really got it heavy into reading about like personal finances and testing out starting other little businesses, trading stocks and options and that kind of stuff. Just trying to figure out money. What was the first uh, financial like like money book you, you read? I, I, yeah, I can't. I don't know. It might have been Rich Dad Poor Dad. I think uh, mine was The Wealthy Barber. Yeah, you know. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, way back. Wealthy Barber, some of Garth Turner's other books. Garth Turner, I, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. He's, He's still been calling for the real estate crash for a long, long, long time. time. He'll now. be right eventually. Yeah. He'll be right yeah. eventually. When did he start calling that? 15 years? At least uh, 10. At least. Because longer. it was before, he was it was telling before everyone we to, started, right? Yeah. I was telling everyone to sell, I think, uh, yeah, maybe 15 years now. Yeah. Could be longer. Um, so, okay. So, you know what? That brings up a good point then. Because, because you know, People call for all sorts of crashes for a long time, and and I understand why he could have been been calling for that crash, right? Sure. But but the yeah. the, the thing that was because of the way the prices were escalating, but I, I mean to me the thing that was might have been missed, and I I don't know you know all his reasoning for calling for that crash, but at that time the what might have been missed was the kind of the reason for the amplification of appreciate uh, of these these uh, the home appreciation and the property appreciation. Um, wasn't like like these these little policies that were impacting us here locally not even like nationally never mind yeah, locally or in a there was such, it was like a much much bigger trend yeah. right so i don't know maybe yeah maybe explain I think, that cuz that was like a big missing piece of the puzzle for a lot of people i think a lot of people including ourselves you look at historic prices and then you make your judgment on prices of real estate today, whether today was 2005, 2002, yeah, for sure. or 2010, based on history. But what we've learned over the last 10, 15 years really clearly, and it, looking back 25 years, is that you can't beat macroeconomic trends. So to your point, when the central banks decide to lower interest rates to ridiculously low levels, that big trend in, in, the, in money overrides anything and drives prices way higher for hard assets than you thought ever possible because there's this kind of, there's this like throttle on money 
And when they drop interest rates, it makes money cheaper. So when money gets cheaper, hard assets then are easier to acquire and it drives the prices. So if you just look at history and judge, judge prices based off history saying, oh, today they're more expensive than yesterday, but you don't look at what the future brings, you can't really make an accurate judgment. Yeah. And you can't, and to be clear, you're not trying to, you can't tell the future because no one no. can. But if you're looking at all the trends and where the yeah. signs are pointing, and if you believe those signs, well, then it might it's make sense. It's kind of why, like in 2000, okay, so then, you know, we talked about 2000, 2008, it happened to us again when the financial crisis hit, when we just started this business. And that's when you and I decided to get a little more serious, like, uh, you know, let's really try to understand the economy oh, yeah, and, yeah. The, well, and the money yeah, system. Well, much, well, I mean, before it was kind of like a somewhat interest. Then it, it needed, we needed to get an understanding of it because yeah. we were like, what the heck's going on? And that's when I think we first realized, oh my gosh, if you understand the big macroeconomic trends in the market, you can actually have somewhat of a, a guide. So that's when mortgage brokers were telling us, hey, hey, Tom, hey, Nick, watch out, interest rates are about to rise. This isn't like 2011. No, two, I know 2010 for sure because I already? looked it up the other day. Yeah, 2010 was the first time. Remember they started, started talking about yeah. green shoots in the economy? Yeah, Do you remember yeah, that yeah. term? Oh my gosh, yeah, that was all over the media. Yeah. Green shoots, green and shoots. And watch everywhere. out guys, interest rates are going to rise. Yeah. And we were rather nervous, but we kept looking at the data and when the data was that, oh my gosh, there's, you know, continuous, the economy's not recovering, GDP is not recovering, there seems to be um, debt accumulating in the economy. Um, there's no real velocity of money. Like money's not changing over in the economy. Yeah, you just you know, for anyone listening to to just kind of explain that just quickly. In a yeah, few velocity sentences. of money is just how fast money turns over an economy. So if if you know if you make a hundred dollars and then you take that hundred dollars and squirrel it underneath your mattress, you are not helping the velocity of money in the economy. But if you take that $100 and you spend it at a restaurant and then you tip the waiter um, and the waiter takes his money and his tip and goes and spends it on a taxi driver and the taxi then takes that money and goes spends it to buy something, that money's turning over quickly and the velocity of money in the economy is speeding up and that drives inflation. Okay, yeah. Whereas so, if you hide the money under the bed and you save your money or you pay off debts, it kills inflation and it doesn't really grow the economy. Yeah, and that's a really big point that a lot of people... Uh, th this th is all in our layman terms, oh, totally, non-economist yeah, yeah. terms. But, but, but it's a really big point that, that, that point. isn't spoken about because if you look at this, the velocity of money, like you, one thing you said is, is what drives inflation, okay? So, and, and the stated goal... Of, of central banks, especially in developed nations around the world, the stated goal, this isn't like a secret, they inflation. are after inflation. Yeah. Like they need, infl they want to control it at a certain level. You know, they say a certain number, whether that's completely accurate yeah, or true for one or the other. 2%. Right. And that's what they've always been after. So they're after this and they need that velocity of money to get this inflation. And then for a long period of time, right, the, the, it just wasn't happening. So, but, so the government's printed all this new money, but it's, people were no so what people it. were putting it in their, in their mattress or it was a really bank. it was really going into some other app people were like the people that had access to it yeah the big banks had access to it first and they were parking it in assets yeah. which caused uh, this market the, the real estate market the stock yeah. market all it wasn't these getting things. it into the general economy yeah. but it drove the stock market to all crazy new yeah. highs as we see now and this isn't this isn't conspiracy this is now because this has already happened so looking back well, in hindsight, data. yeah exactly yeah. that's what that's what i want to say so looking back in hindsight the data is all there. This yeah. is exactly what has happened, and and the reason for these, you know, one of the one of the reasons, you know, a, a big big reason. I mean, Canada has some other reasons as well. Yeah. Um. But but anyways, okay. So and uh, to your point, uh, like just on that note, um, one of the biggest trends or one of the biggest causes of 2007's financial crisis was like a debt problem with subprime mortgages, and then yeah. after that, all the headlines. Remember, all the headlines were like, hey everyone, we should pay off debts and we should get out, deleverage out of this yep. debt. And uh, we pulled up the debt numbers globally around the world. In 2007, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I think it was $144 trillion of global debt. Today in 2000, or the last data was like late 2017, it's like 230 something. Yeah, yeah, we have short memories. There's more debt. There's more debt. This brings us to the point, and it's more even. It's more complicated now than it was before. Well, it's, a, it's a global system that's intertwined. Yeah, remember how? In, but it was intertwined before with the, the more with the mortgage. Remember they were selling off the mortgages yeah. all over the world. And, but now some of these 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 financial products are even more intertwined than they were before. It's crazy. And then so this is kind of to what we always talk about on when people tell us about interest rates because the in the in the U.S. they've kind of declared they want to raise interest rates one point this year. 
point, a quarter point four times a year. I think it's March, June, September, December is when they've kind of decided they're going to do these quarter point raises. And uh, we are just calling a little bit. of We're just kind of curious as to if this is actually going to be possible because if you look at the u.s's debt and it, it impacts us in canada you were going to say you're calling bs yeah i'm calling a bit of bullshit on this but <laughs> but no they might be able to raise it a whole point but but think about this the u.s debt is just over 20 i think it might have hit just 21 trillion but let's call it 20 trillion dollars what's one percent on 20 trillion one percent on 20 trillion if i'm doing my math right is 200 billion dollars so if they raise interest rates one percent from here that's a $200 billion increase in interest that they'll have to pay on that debt because interest rates have gone up 1%, $200 billion. If the Fed, if the U.S. deficit is $600 billion annually right now, we can go check it. I think with Trump's new tax cuts, there's some talk that it's going to cross over a trillion dollars, but let's call it $600 billion right now, and interest rates go up 1%. That's a 33% increase mm -hmm. in their annual deficit. If it goes up 2%, that's a 66% increase in their annual deficit. If it goes up 3%, 3%, which isn't even huge, that's, that's basically they're doubling their current annual deficit. Yeah. So when everyone talks to me about like, hey, they're going to raise rates, I'm like, yeah, they're going to raise rates, but are they raising rates, what, half a point total? And, a and, point? and when does the stock market break in all this? And then what's the policy response to that? Well, it's what, look, you know, my opinion is that everyone's now got- Now I'm getting pissed. No, it's just my opinion is everyone's got, everyone's got short memories, right? So it's all relative to what you look at as rates. So people now, when they're so used to, because for years and years, rates, I mean, Rates yeah, that's at the U.S. True. were at zero. In that's Canada, true. they were 0.75 If you're like under 35 years old right now, you think these are normal yeah, rates. Yeah, so when rates go up, uh, you know, to, to people, a half point, even over a six-month or eight-month period, is that's them raising rates. Whereas if you look in the past, that's, that's like a blip on the radar. It, it's really, it's nothing significant. So that's really, you know, that that's, I think, where people... Well, at least to me, where there might be a disconnect. So yeah, maybe rates will go up, but but we've been and, and the reason why I think one of the reasons why you can call BS or you're, you're you know I'm likely to call BS too is because they've been warning us of raising rates since 2010. They didn't do it for years and years and years, and every single year what since you know, we're 2018 now. And I mean they have been raising them a little bit, but yeah, but every time that they raised them, they were supposed to raise them more. They kept saying they were going to raise them more, raise them more. They had to raise them slower and less than they planned to. Right, and they're raising them. It, it like, look, we're in the. Is it the second? Still the second largest? The second longest expand monet, uh, I think it's the second longest economic, economic expansion, expansion in history. Yeah. So look, it might go to the longest, mm -hmm. but it's not going to go on forever. In the it's going to contract and I think sooner that's, or later. That data is U.S. data. But whatever, we're highly dependent on the U.S. economy. Yeah, because so. we had a little blip right in the middle. Remember, mm -hmm. we had a little recession, yeah. didn't we? Just like for two couple quarters there, or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to your point, I think the, the reason that they always kind of threaten that they're going to raise rates or everyone gets excited is because of these kinds of forecasts. Like, for, for example, in the U.S. right now, in Q1, the forecast initially for GDP growth on February 1st was 5.4%, if you can believe this, from the Atlanta Fed. It was 5.4%, which is huge. What did you say? GDP growth for the U.S. this yeah, year? That yeah, was their that, was, that was their forecast. That is, that's enormous. So then when that comes out, everyone's like, oh my gosh, they're going to raise rates. Of course they're raising rates. But then on February 6th, five days later, the Atlanta Fed said, well, you know what? It's actually going to be 4%. It's going to be 4%. And then on February 15th, they said, ah, you know what? It's going to be 3.1%. So we're talking two weeks Within later, two weeks. but then listen to this on February 27th. They said, ah, you know what? It's going to be 2.6%. And then on March 14th, um, what is today? We're March 20th. On March 14th, they said, ah, it's going to be 1.9%. And then on March 20, uh, on March 16th, they said it's going to be 1.8%. And they always come up with reasons. There's a hurricane or there's some kind of situation going on, but they started at five point. Think about this. And this is what gets the headlines. Oh my gosh, the economy's on fire. The forecast is Q1 GDP is going to be 5.4. So it went from 5.4% on February 1st to now March 16th, six weeks later, 1.8%. Yeah, the for, the for, the financial forecast, the economic forecast to me Disaster. is probably more Useless. inconsistent than the weatherman. Yeah. 
totally right? useless. I think I think if like you we, had to, we, we if you had to choose who was right more often or who was close to right, I think you're banking on the weatherman. Completely useless. So yeah, when we look at that kind of stuff, so I look at that kind of stuff. We know the Fed has and the Bank of Canada both have a declared goal to get two percent inflation. Now they're saying the economy in the U.S. isn't even going to hit. Um, two, it's going to hit 1.8%. So where are they going to get this inflationary growth that they want? And just, I, I just want to talk about- You, you got to stop banging on that table. I can hear I, it in the background. I know, I like Tom's to, getting all worked I up here. There's going to be- bang on this yeah, table. It's gonna, I, we'll get foam for the table <laughs> so I can bang on it. But I just want to explain something. And that maybe I'm just talking to myself right now. I just want to get this out there. that The reason inflation bothers me as a topic so much is I'm just going to go back to our father. Like I remember when he got up every morning, 5 a.m. to do drywall. I remember the guy honking his horn and upsetting all our neighbors every morning to pick up our father. And they would go out in the freezing cold uh, to work on job sites to put up drywall. They weren't using screw guns back then. Like he used nail and hammer to throw up the drywall. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. That makes it tougher tough there was no uh, walls in these houses that they were going into so the wind was blowing right through no windows and they were already starting the drywall in these houses it was really weird like i remember going one time and there was snow on the pile of drywall and clearing off the snow now they do it a little bit better you know there's like kind of windows in the house is a little bit more sealed off before they're starting this stuff um but back then that's how it was and i just remember being pretty impressed just watching our father go out every day our mom made the paper brown paper bag lunch for him every day and that that whole bit and then i just kind of Looking back at that, now realizing how hard he was working and then understanding he had this headwind that he was facing, which was inflation. And what I mean by that is inflation at 2% a year. If there's inflation at 2% a year, that cuts the value of money in half every 35 years. Every 35 years, a little bit of inflation at 2% cuts the value of money in half. And what, why that bothers me is because if our father was breaking his back and working and putting, let's say, $10,000 he saved up back then, he said, I'm going to give this to my kids or my grandchildren as a present one day. And this represents my hard labor. I saved this money and the reflection of my hard labor is this money. And then 35 years pass and he gives that money, which is a reflection of, of, of his hard labor. But the value of that money has been cut in half through no fault of his own, that just bothers me, bothers me. And at 3%, it's cut in half like every 24 years. I was going to say, because I, I, I'm, su- I'm surprised, and I know it's a low number, but I'm surprised it's, it's, it, it takes that long. Because if I think of what a thousand bucks could have bought 35 years ago. Well, but there's been higher inflation though. Yeah. It hasn't been 2%. That's the thing. Inflation's been higher, yeah, so the I mean, value of no money's way. been crushed more. I'm just talking theoretically, but inflation has been higher than 2%. And that's and the, and the reason is if you go to the government data, now I'm just cutting you off. Now, if you go to the government data, they might say it's 2% historically, but the basket of goods in Canada, just so that everyone understands from our research, and I, if anyone finds this information out, please, I'm super interested in it. It's a substitution model, which means that if they track inflation on, let's say, Steak. Steaks, yeah, that's a good example. Right? But then steak gets too expensive. So what they can do is they can say, well, you know what, steak's getting pretty expensive. And really, you can enjoy hot dogs just as much as you can enjoy steak. So we're not really going to keep steak in our measurement anymore. We're just going to substitute it with hot dogs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hot dogs really didn't go up in price. Um, So inflation didn't go up. So inflation is only like a 2% and it's not at like 8% if we counted steaks. And that's where kind of the whole measurement. They can do the same thing with coffee and tea. We used to use coffee, but ah, coffee's getting expensive, so we'll sub in tea, right? It's a, and, and again, if I anyone mean, has do data the same thing on with, this with stuff- butter and butter and margarine. I mean, it doesn't- it, Right across the, the board, yeah. substitution model. So I just- But one's a, one's a real product, like one, and this, I mean, it's a more nutrition thing, but one's a real product, one's a chemical. Yeah, now we're talking health. Mar- margarine's like one, I think it's one molecule different than plastic. I don't know if that's a myth or not. I love that I, myth. I, ha- I, I want to keep that, that myth. So I, yeah, I love that I, myth. I don't know if it's a myth I'm going to propagate but, that myth. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but that's what I mean. But like one's completely artificial and one's, one's a product, right? It's like if you're replacing beef. Yeah, I guess almost like hot dogs because some are who knows yeah, yeah, what yeah, the yeah. heck's in the things. Yeah. But it's the same thing. Um, but that, but to your point of why you're surprised that it would be sooner, it has been sooner. I'm just going off the government yeah, data of yeah, like yeah. that. You know, and Bank of Canada has a great inflation calculator. If anyone Googles up Bank of Canada inflation. That's yeah, awesome calculator. to see how your money is disappearing right before yeah, your eyes. right before your eyes. So that really kind of just bothers me. And then a lot of people will have the response, well, Tom, you know, you just have to invest it to like, you know, keep 
keep keep up with inflation. I'm like, yeah, no, that's fair. I can understand that's the money game we live in. But investing, it does require some risk. So really, you can never work and get a true representation of the value of your work that will last. You always have to be like juggling. You have to work, earn money, and then risk it in something that is going to keep its value. So the money game is really just kind of more complicated. And that's part of the reason that I feel the middle class can't get ahead is that some of these things are kind of right out in the open and no one sees them. So when you're just making, like if you're making the same annual salary year over year and you're not getting an increase that matches inflation or matches house prices, let's talk about house prices for a second. If it matches your your primary need of shelter, food and shelter, um, you're falling behind. Because if, even if you get a 2% raise any given year, but if house prices are gonna go up 6%, and if they go up 6% multiple years in a row, you're falling further and further behind. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the destruction of the middle class stuff. That well, we, we, mapped, we mapped that out, right? We asked, we asked Kyle in our office to map out, it was the average income versus average house prices, and you see that the gap is just growing and growing further and further. And if that trend continues, it's just going to be you know, unsurmountable for people that aren't in the market. Like in some other markets, and we took, what did we take? We took it from the Toronto Real Estate Board. So we took the Toronto average price versus the average income in, in, in Toronto. Canada. Yeah. Was it aver- the no, Canadian no, average income? The, yeah, it's, it's not a perfect model because, yeah, it's the Canadian average income okay. compared against Toronto real estate prices. It's so, kind of good. So it it's gives not, us but it gives you the idea of the, tr- it gives you the trends that are happening and it's it's not pretty to look at. If anyone wants to look at that that's listening, I think it's, um, what is it, no, no More Middle? Was it Goodbye Middle? No more middle. No more middle.com is what I was, was going to okay, say. Okay, so yeah, we have that report at no more middle.com. If you want to grab the report and look at those charts, extrapolate it out, no more middle.com. Because in 2017, I think it was about like nine or 10 times your um, the average Canadian salary to purchase a house. No, it was, it, it was, sorry, it was nine or 10 times the average Canadian salary that e- equaled the value of a house. Okay. And now it's, um, yeah, in 2017, and if we extrapolate the data out another like 25 years or whatever we did. Based on then, the same trend line. Back, based on the same Stats Canada trend, the same house pricing trend off TREB data, the next 25 years, it gets really ugly. It's like instead of nine or 10 times, it's 27 times your income. Yeah. For a single to to be the same value of a single family. So home. unless there's a drastic change, I, 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 sorry, I have an average home in Toronto. It's thirty-seven times for a single family home. Okay. So it's crazy, and, and that's that's not distru- unheard of in, in other parts of the world. Like it's not like this is completely unrealistic either. No, it just pisses me off because I love Canada for its middle class. Like it's a great country. Yeah. But we're witnessing the destruction of the middle class. Oh yeah, class right. But well, I mean, it, before our eyes. Yeah, and it hasn't just started. Like it hasn't. It's not just starting now. Like it's it's been going on. The thing is, when it's going on right in front, front of, of you your every eyes. single and day, is, you don't see it. And this is why sometimes when people when we talk about real estate a lot, obviously, um, and people will kind of, you know, they'll get up in arms about like, oh well, don't you know? You know, I think the quality of someone's understanding of real estate and of money can really be determined very easily by the questions or the comments they make about the subject. Because a lot of times people will say, well, prices are going to fall. Like, don't you know prices are going to fall? And my response is, yeah, prices are going to fall. But if you don't get your money or your, if you don't own assets in some way over the long term, you're going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Because incomes compared to assets, are the, the gap is growing f- wider and wider. Just This is in our opinion. This is just the data that we're collecting. And if we're wrong on the data or someone has other data, it's interesting for us to let us know, send it in. But I mean, this is the data that we're looking at. And it, it, that's what I just feel like, geez, now is the time. We pulled up this, Nick, for one of our economic updates. If you look at the top 10% of the wealthy in, in the U.S., and the, there's just more data to pull in the U.S., that's why we did it. Their wealth comes from like owning income properties and owning like ownership of assets. Well, it's where the bottom, the bottom 90%, their wealth is like savings and pensions. Yeah. So, well, it's a hedge. Like it protects your purchasing power, right? So, and, and I mean, you know, we see it as well. Like as people get older and older, if you look at retirement years, 
you know, I, I mean, there's been so many examples currently of people losing their pensions because especially with like all these large retail chains going out of business and, and their pensions being cut because of it, some eliminated. So there's all those those examples. But even removing that just off a pension, if it's not properly protected against inflation, which many or most almost all aren't properly protected against the, the inflation rate, the pension you're setting yourself up for might not be able to kind of cover your, your lifestyle that you that you want or any unexpected surprises health or anything else yeah it won't cover it so it gets interesting fast but where where when you own assets long term you have the ability to dip into those things you have this flexibility and it's something that really kind of i don't know when that hit home with me it was a number of years ago when it, when it was just really nice to own something with no debt on, even if it's real yeah. estate. And I know, I know that's like old school in a way for some people like, well, why don't you leverage up all the real estate and then buy more real estate with that stuff? And I get it. And that's an approach some people can take too. But if anyone doesn't actually like own like an asset, like just own it outright, you, you don't know, you haven't experienced, it's just this weird different it's a feeling. Good, it's You're a like, good feeling. I own it. It's a like good it's, feeling. It's the, the, the bank doesn't own it and I still have to pay the bank. Like it's mine. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it kind of changes. How well I, you sleep. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's weird, right? Yeah. But it, it it just it gives you the the freedom. It gives you definitely much more flexibility. It definitely totally. for me gives me much more flexibility to, to when I just don't want to do something. I decide not I don't want to do yeah. it. It doesn't fit with me. I think you know you're you're just making me have flashbacks to, to I always used to associate being well off with a high income. And now I realize that you want to transfer whatever income you can generate into ownership of equity in assets as fast as humanly possible. Your income should only be a need, uh, a mechanism to go and own assets. And the ownership of assets is really the the big deal, you know. And uh, you, you just said something on pensions. There's other data that we pulled. Again, I'm going to do this off the top of my head, but I believe the U.S. right now on Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security is in a deficit situation of about $47 trillion. Yeah, that's, that's absurd. <laughs> $47 trillion. They have a report on their public website. Nick, we pulled it up for an economic update not too long ago. $47 trillion. This, going back to our point about interest rates, how how are they going to raise interest rates in an environment where there's so much debt and it looks like in order to fulfill some of the mandatory spending raise rates in any meaningful in way. any meaningful yeah. way that's a better way to say it um they're going to have to accumulate more debt just to cover the obligations that they've already committed to their own population mm-hmm. how are they going to raise rates no no i get it listen so we and been, i think sorry i think no you're going to cut me off I know, all no, sorts of yeah, time i know uh, but you go. No, go. Uh, now I don't even want to talk. Now I'm offended. Uh, now I forgot now I'm offended. Now I, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're only raising rates right now in the U.S. because they know during the next financial crisis with rates being so low, they can't lower them. So they kind of have to squeak them up as, as much as humanly possible so that when you know the next crap hits the fan, they have something to do and the ability to lower them. Yeah. So we've been, we've been looking at this in our, our opinion as not economists, but just kind of but look, taking a lot of economical data into into account. Economical? Yeah. Well, you you know, just yeah, make no, up you make, you make up words as you go. Economical. People yeah. figure it out. Economical is good. Smart people will be able to figure <laughs> out what that means, okay? So people will take the economic data. So we were taking the economic data to look at this type of stuff. And um, our opinion was that, you know, for a number of years, they, 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 it would be very difficult for them to raise rates, which, which looking back, you know, made us look smart. It doesn't mean we are smart, made us look smart, you know, f- for the time being. But what's been really interesting to me, um, when was the first time? I think it was last fall, and maybe he was speaking of this sooner. But Benjamin Tall, who's, who's not the chief economist, but he's a pretty high up there economist at CIBC in Canada. Is he not the chief one for CIBC? No, I think no? it's, isn't that Avery Sheffield? Sheff- I don't know. Sheff- I, can't keep track I don't of think he's guys. the chief one. I think, but, but he's up there, but, uh, and maybe I'm wrong. He's one of the best though. Yeah. So I've always liked his stuff, you know, versus some other ones, but he was the first one that I've seen um, come out. And admittedly, I don't see all their presentations, but I do see a, a number of them. And he was the first one that I saw openly talking about, hey, look, let's take a look at all this stuff that's going on um, with all this monetary policy. And he's like, why is everyone looking at these rates going up? He goes, why, you know, I'm go- here to say that there's a potential these rates aren't going up over the long term. And again, he meant in any meaningful way. And he he took Japan as an example. And he said, why 
could we not be the next Japan and rates are going right. to rates are here yeah, for yeah, yeah. a long period yeah. of time. And it was the first time that I had heard one, like a, a you know, a, a Canadian economist at a big five bank really speaking like that. And I was like, hmm, this is quite interesting that now, you know, they're, they're, I don't know if the perception of, of, of other ones are going to change that way as well. But I'm like, that's, that's really interesting that he's taking that approach and that viewpoint as well. That for there, a period of time, there is potential that the rates will not go up in, in a meaningful way. And that this low rate environment somewhere, you know, somewhere, you know, somewhere where they are today is here to stay for a while. And in that situation, we all have to plan for that. Yeah. Yeah. So if that's that that situation, exactly. You know, if, if that situation comes to fruition, then are we prepared? Yeah. And it is the, are the last 10 years in in a low rate environment, any, any indication of what could happen for the next 10 years or beyond or whatever the case may be. Right, so so you got to take that into into account as well, and that's why I personally freak out. Like when I have money on the sidelines, um, we we need you know we keep some money on the sidelines for um, just like family yeah, insurance business, and our yeah. business, and we yeah. need to inject cash into it, that type of stuff. But any more than a certain amount, and it starts freaking me out. I'm like, what this money? I because I, I know the purchasing power is withering away because that's what the government the the stated, well, stated goal, goal of you know, two percent inflation, right? So that's the way um, that's the way I look at it. So it'll be, an, you know, something to consider when when everyone's freaking out about the potential of interest rates jumping up. There's a flip side that is is a very real possibility of them staying low. The weird part is once you understand that inflation is a stated goal of the government, if you just change your primary kind of wealth strategy from income to owning assets, you then ride the wave. You, you, you ride the wave of the game they're playing because hard assets kind of rise up with inflation. Sure, there's going to be ups and downs sure, to them. Of course. But yeah, you're yeah. now kind of riding with the wind behind your back instead of facing it as a headwind. Does that make sense? Am I just using a horrible analogy? I just think inflation is hor- like an, an, uh, uh, this thing that's fighting your, your ability to get ahead uh, or even stay in the middle class. Whereas if you just own assets, you now kind of ride the wave mm-hmm. of inflation because as inflation moves along, your hard assets go up in value um, and you're good to go. Something, Nick, that debt, we- debt in general, something one of our accountants told us a number of years ago, um, you know, it just hit home because he's mentioned the same thing. He goes, people that are able to really kind of, you know, if people are looking at accumulating a, 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 a good sum of money, one thing that he made it pretty abundantly clear was that debt that cannot be like written off or anything as, as like a business expense he goes it, it, it really holds you back much more than you think it always stuck out to me when he said that you know i was like oh, that that's interesting and, and for i i made some personal adjustments after you know he explained that but it, i was like it was quite interesting whereas a lot of us are really really comfortable using debt for a lot of stuff because because in, in our society more people care about what their monthly payment is than what they're actually the purchase price is on stuff mm-hmm. right and and maybe it's something you know some something to consider sometimes is how much is this really going to cost over the long term because it can, it, you know, when you get locked into those contracts, it can suck. I, I hate signing contracts for long-term You do stuff. hate signing contracts. You will fight anyone who makes you sign a contract. I know. I lose a lot in today's environment, but 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 I win sometimes. You have maybe gotten a little softer in the last little while. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, uh, incomes as a percent of the economy are actually on a long uh, downward decline. So if you pull the data um, from 1970 to about 2010, incomes as a percent of the gross domestic product in the, the and again i had to pull us data for that uh, for that um it's on the decline so it just shows to me that incomes aren't the strategy that like i want to teach anyone about in my own family that you know th- it's a strategy that's playing less and less a role in the economy you know if it's so, the, if it's the sole if it's the sole uh, absolutely. thing, yeah, oh yeah, right. you still need an income. No, no, yeah, you have to buy yeah. groceries every month. Yeah, totally. And, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But 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 to, but to protect yourself long term, which is so important, because you you know it's tough. But you got like for us, I, I always feel like you know it's it's short term. There's got to be a good balance between short term and long term. But then you take the short term income and park in the long term assets, and that's what in the future, the long term gives you flexibility of choice, which is the you know to me that is what your life, your terms is, is it's, it's, it's flexibility and freedom of choice because you're not really tied down. You don't have handcuffs off. You don't feel like you're tied to something that you can't get out of. You bring this point up a lot is that, you know, sometimes we all get carried away in in thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a million properties. I'm going to buy all this real estate and, you know, I'm going to be like 
Um, I was going to say Donald Trump. I, I thought of Donald Trump I, as the real estate well, guy. We used to get a lot. Of, remember, we used to get a lot of people coming in. I mean, obviously, it's real estate. Yeah. So people were like, you know, I want to be like Donald Trump. And I, now I we tell don't everyone, get that I'm like, no one yeah, says that. Yeah, no, no one comes one says in saying that, anymore. that anymore. Yeah, it's funny. Even as, yeah. I, as I started to say it, I'm like, oh, I don't think of him as the real estate guy. Anymore. Yeah. I think of him more as the president. Yeah. Some anyway. people might think it, but even if they think it, I don't yeah. think they're saying yeah. it, right? Um, you know what? We talked a lot about U.S. data, so I really want to make a point to bring up some Canadian data. Actually, the prices of homes and salary was Canadian data, but Canadian debt levels, in case you're curious, from 2007, which was the last financial crisis, it freaks me out, Nick, by the way, that like if you're 35 years old and uh, that last financial crisis w- would have made you about 25 years old because it was about 10 years ago, you weren't probably paying attention to any of this stuff around 25. So if you're less than 30, uh, younger than 35, even maybe younger than 40, yeah, you barely, you, you barely, barely even, even notice this thing, you know? Um, well, but, to get their, themselves out of it, they made a quick response, cheap money and flood fast. the world yeah. with money. They were printing, yeah. creating in Canada, money. Canada, and, and because of all that, Canada property prices, remember they plateaued? Remember we thought property prices were going to drop and then they just plateaued here for like about 18 months and then they took off again? Yeah, yeah. Um, but Canadian debt levels, the combination of federal and provincial net debt from 2007, 2008 to 2016 is up 53% in eight years. So our combined debt as a country was $834 billion. As a country, we are now at $1.284 trillion. And so, and with, with the current projections... It's, yeah, it's, it's going to go it's higher. Grow. Well, Ontario's broke. The government's now planning and spending more money. Yeah. So um, I think Trudeau's deficit numbers are coming in way higher than, than he originally planned. My, so I this is too. just going to get increased. So like anyone. But they're going to tax, they're going to sell marijuana for more income. Yeah. You know what? I just, I, 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 is in California, apparently recreational marijuana is taxed at a different tax rate than medicinal marijuana. Oh, really? Yeah. Higher or higher? Lower? Yeah. Okay, so like okay. if you buy recreational marijuana. So I'm wondering how that's going to be at the LCBO. Because that'll be rec marijuana. It's not the LCBO. You, haven't you heard? Oh, you might have missed this. You were yeah. gone last week. This is the best thing ever. So, I saw a logo or something. Yeah. So did you see the logo? Did I just saw a logo. Okay. I so thought, for anyone I thought listening, they were just going to tack it so onto the- in Ontario, it's going to be called, this is very creative, right? It's going to be called the Ontario Cannabis Store. So think that's a, like a very advanced name. I'm not knocking the name. That's fine. But just, if, just think about the amount of creativity put into that name. And then... If you look at the logo, it's like an O with a C in it or something like that. It's very simple with Ontario Cannabis Store next to it. And then, do you know what that cost them? $650,000 to come up with those two things. That's what it was in the Toronto Star. That's what they reported. Six hundred fifty grand for those. I things. would have loved to be the marketing agency that got that contract. Uh, that's what I would say. I mean, don't they need to know about Fiverr? For anyone listening, you can go online for twenty bucks. You can get a nice logo that probably looks a little bit, a little bit more advanced. Yeah, than no, that. hardly anyone. Knows. So Fiverr's uh, that's a serious point. I'm Fiverr serious. is f i v e r r dot com. You can almost get anything done that you need for. It's yeah, not five bucks. It used to be, like be five 20 bucks. bucks it can 20. still be five bucks if you want to wait two weeks yeah. for it, or if you need it in inflation. Three days, inflation got yeah. them, and they had to go up. But it's just, uh, anyways, yeah, that's a whole other story. Um, so I, I, I forget where we were there. Did they say, if, are they going to tax it different? Or does that come up? No, they didn't. They, I, I haven't seen if they're going to tax it differently. Um, but I mean, but what I have seen, which, which blows my mind because they're, so they're legalizing it, you know, because they want an income stream, but they've come out now, the Ontario, this was forwarded to us yesterday, actually. The Ontario government's come out and they've given a list of stuff they're going to spend money on with this tax revenue. And so much of it goes on, it goes on like prevention and management of this marijuana thing. I'm like, well, if they're spending all this money on all these different programs against it, why not just like not legalize it? It's like they're trying to stop it and manage it, but they're legalizing it at the same time. I mean, it's just government stuff, you know, it just kind of, it always just amazes me like, what, you know, left hands on talking the right kind of. When's the role? So, and just for anyone listening to this, I know it doesn't have royal assent in Canada yet. That, did that happen last week? While no, was so my understanding is it still doesn't, doesn't but, have but it's fully or... expected to by to, July 1st. Still July 1st? I thought it was going to be August 1st now. Oh, is it? I didn't see that. I didn't oh, see no, that. I think it was just rumblings that they weren't going to get it done it in time for It doesn't seem like they're 1st. not. Yeah, I don't know why, what's, what the holdup is at the federal level, but 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 I mean, I, my understanding, I mean, they have a majority, right? So I, I don't think that's going to change anytime. So it's still happening unless something. Well, you know, we're gonna have changes. to do a yeah, we're gonna have to do a uh, an episode on all that for investors and stuff. For sure, so we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll have to. We'll, we'll, we're we'll waiting. Just you know what? Just so everyone's clear, we're waiting for the provincial regulations to come down because the, we need the provincial ones to be more clear because it, it's going to vary across the country. But a lot of the investors we work with here in Ontario, because there's no Ontario regulations, we don't have the details that we can share yet. And with the election coming up. 
I don't know if they're going to get them in time. So it's it's going to be interesting. The federal the federal government is doing one thing. The province isn't set to manage what the federal ones are doing. I think while I was doing. gone, it's also crazy. Rob Ford became leader of the PC party. Doug Ford. Oh my gosh, Doug, Doug Ford. Ford. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Doug Ford. Yeah, did that happen uh, while you were gone? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it's gonna be an, it's gonna be an interesting. And race. he's a he's ahead in the polls. That's what I saw this morning. Yeah, yeah. At this point, I think there's so much negativity towards towards win. I, 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 Anyone's gonna win. I other think a lot her. of people could be head, ahead in the polls. I'm not taking anything away from him for anyone that likes him. I, you know, I don't know his policies or anything yet. I just think right now people are just sitting Fed up. Win right at this point. At this point. So there's a point I want to make on um, the reason that we track a lot of U.S. data is because Canada and the Bank of Canada historically tracks U.S. Um, and whatever they do, we will sort of follow along, maybe, maybe not perfectly, but very closely. So that's why we always look at the U.S. data, because whatever the U.S. does kind of dictates what Canada does. And what Canada does affects us here on the street. Somebody I was talking to probably, Nick, three months ago, an experienced investor, they said, hey, Tom, what's the biggest risk to real estate? And, uh, you know, uh, they were saying cash flow is the biggest risk. And, and if you think about it, it goes beyond cash flow because your cash flow on real estate is often determined by your expenses. And the biggest expense that you can't control is your mortgage payment and the interest that you get on your mortgage payment, especially here in Canada that we typically just do five-year renewals. So that's kind of why we look at the economy in such detail is that we can only lock in our rates for about five years at a time. After that, we're going to have to deal with whatever the new rate is. So that kind of makes interest rates the biggest risk to real estate that we see. And that's why we spend all this time on interest rates and looking at the economy and stuff like that. Because when you boil it right down, if you own a property in the Durham region or in Barrie or in Kitchener or wherever you own a property, the big, biggest risk to that property, if you're carrying a mortgage on it, is what interest rate you're going to get at the next renewal or immediately. So that's why we spend all this attention on the U.S. economy. And so with that, I just want to bring up this point on their debt one more time, is that the debt at $20 trillion dollars doesn't include liabilities for student loans in the US and the liabilities for student loans are through the roof right now. It doesn't include the social security and Medicare debt that I talked about, that $47 trillion. It doesn't include insurance for the banks. So if there is another financial crisis and the banks need to be um, uh, uh, sent some money, it doesn't include that. It doesn't include guarantees for mortgage debt of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac who are still around. And it doesn't account for the trillions of dollars of contingent liabilities, things like rescue funds if there's a bad natural disaster and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't include any of that. So when we look at the big broad picture and think of property prices today, you know how before you were talking about maybe interest rates or Benjamin Tall was talking about it too, maybe interest rates are going to be here longer. Here's my question. What happens if there is a financial crisis in the next 12 months? What's the policy response going to be? So let's say here in Ontario, property prices are affected because a, a big a global financial crisis hits and then there's no credit. And when there's lack of access to credit, property prices are going to come down because the property market is built on access to credit. So naturally, prices are going to come down. So we should expect that. As sophisticated investors, we should all expect that. And if that's, uh, that's the case, we also have to prepare for it, which is why you don't want negative cash flowing properties and you want to have a good, stable uh, you know, uh, portfolio of properties. But then we got to think beyond that. What's the policy response going to be in the U.S. and here in Canada? If shit hits the fan, what's the policy response? And the only things that I can really think of that the government can do is print more money and change interest rates. And if that's the case, if they flood the market with more easy money and stimulus spending and lower interest rates, what happens to the value of hard assets like good properties then? Well, and it's not just what you think they can do. We always look at history. So what they've done through history yeah. to try to stimulate it is, Good point. is that type of yeah. stuff, right? It's really their only tool they have. Like they don't really create jobs outright. They just kind of spend money. That's what they collect money and then they kind of spend yeah, well, it. Well, look, I mean, the last time when they tried to stimulate the economy, well, they just basically, the governments went into deficits to start spending more money on like construction projects and things like that to try to create jobs to spend more money. But they're just, they're still spending money the, the same way. They're creating money and spending it, right? That yeah, was, that exactly. Was, that so was the so then goal. my mind goes to, okay, if I can survive the next, or we as a group of investors together, if we can survive the next financial crisis by buying good properties, not doing too much speculative stuff, we can survive it. We might come out really well because the next policy response 
might drive up property prices even further, whether that's right or wrong. We're not trying to say it's right or wrong. I'm just trying to think, what's the policy response yeah. going to do to hard assets? Well, then what about the people, I, I know the answer to this, but but I mean, the people that come to say, okay, well, look, I'm going to buy this property and let's say the property value, let's say I bought it, whatever the number is, four or five hundred, yeah. $600,000 now. Um, and when the property price changes, let's say there is this hiccup in the economy and there is a downturn and the price property prices jump. Why am I going to buy now? I'm going to wait until they drop and then buy the property. Okay, so there's two, the, the, the two immediate answers to that for me are, number one, people have been saying that since 2007. So if you've missed out on the last 10 years, yeah, you've locked yourself you've up lo- Even if the market corrects 35%, 40%, 50%, you're still ahead if you purchased 10 years ago. So you've kind of missed a major wave. So you, no one has that crystal ball. And the second thing I, I, I was thinking, I thought it was going to be a really good, uh, oh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be a good point, but I totally forgot about it. This is what it is. Access to credit. You won't be able to buy. During a financial crisis, there's two things that are going to happen. Your psychological state is going to be in a place. See, back in 1990, I think what people don't realize, because I'm an old guy and I can remember this stuff, is that in 1990, people thought things were going to get worse in 1991, not better. And in 1991, people thought things were going to get worse in 1992, not better. So the psychological state that you're put in during a financial crisis is that things are always going to get worse. So when things are at the bottom, so let's take 1990, nobody was running, or very, very few people, I'm sure there were some, were running around thinking, now's the perfect time to buy. Because you have to fight that psychological state. And then, even if you can overcome that, the banks aren't lending. The banks aren't lending. Either interest rates are super high because of some bond market crisis and interest rates are super high against the will of the government of Canada, or they're, they're super low, but the banks aren't asking, uh, allowing credit. They're not lending because of a financial crisis. So you can't even scoop up all the properties that you thought you'd scoop you're up. You're talking about, an, I mean, you are talking about an extreme circumstance. Totally. So you're talking about like the, yeah, like the real little, extremes. I'm talking about extremes because the little ones we can always kind of get through. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the extremes because well, most those people, the, most people freak out of the little ones though. So I'm not, I'm not even talking about the extremes. Like the little ones freak people out. Yeah, totally. Like property prices that well, went, if they, they go from 450 to four last year to 400 this year, out. people are like, yeah. property prices are down, like they're, they're freaking out. So I'm not, I'm only talking about yeah, that. Yeah, You're yeah, talking yeah. like at the Sorry, whole talking, other level. I'm yeah, talking yeah, yeah. doomsday scenario. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If they go down like that, you're right. I mean, I, I just think that's a natural state of the market. Someone once gave us the analogy that property prices are like when you're playing with a yo-yo walking upstairs. Long term, it's going up when you're walking up the stairs, but the yo-yo is kind of going up and down as you move. I've upwards. never heard that before. Oh, really? Yeah, that's actually good. You know, kind of like they're going—it's yeah, yeah, going yeah, up and down, sense. but long term, they're going yeah. up. So that's what I tell them. I, we have to expect the property prices are going to go up and down. The, the the one thing that I, I always sticks out in my head is when the U.S. went through their last downturn. So that was what 2008, it's 2007, 2008, right? When the property prices started really kind of going down in the U.S. and it was because it was the subprime crisis. It was in all sorts of parts of the U.S. Some hit harder than others. We have uh, a good friend in Ohio who in, in that particular area, property prices were hit by what? 60%. 65. I was think. it 65? Yeah. Okay. So let's say 60, 65%. And rents at that time, we asked him, we're like, Hey, what happened to rents? He goes, rents pretty much weren't, didn't move at all until all that demand came on the market from the people, you know, a bunch of people were walking, they weren't, some were losing, some were walking yeah, some away were, from their homes, yeah, losing as, their a, homes. as a decision. Um, and then uh, rents actually increased higher than they typically, you know, at a faster rate than they typically increase um, because of that. And that always held true to me because if you look at a variety of different markets and you look at the rent trends through them, even as the property prices go up and down, rents typically just tick upwards at a slower rate, but they continue to kind of go upwards. And um, so in, in my mind, I'm always looking at it. Well, look, if I can rent something out and break even or get a little bit of positive cash flow now, even in a market downturn, I know that history, if history is any indication that I'm going to be able to cover my costs or generate income from that property, even in that downturn at, at the same rate that I'm getting it now. So I'm at the end of the day, I'm like not to, I'm not planning on living off that income. I don't need to live off the value of that property for, at that day, at that time. I feel the same way about the yo-yo going up the stairs. I think long-term, you know, things will go back just simply because of inflation alone. 
But if, if, if the income numbers are cover now and they're going to cover in the future, then I'm kind of, that's my safety net. And that's nothing's, the survival. That's the survival. Yeah. And nothing's perfect. I'm not saying anything's oh guaranteed at all, I'm sure it'll be horrible. but I just look at it like that's my safety net. Yeah, yeah. The bigger, the more cash flows, the larger the safety net. That is the way I look at it. But you know, so, so yeah, I, I just always look back at what's happened in the past or I, I do my best as possible to look at what's happened in the past and try to implement those lessons for me today in my decisions. Easier said than done because you got to remove emotion from it. And that's pretty much the, like that to me is the hardest part for myself. But there's never been an era, era you're right, where we've pulled historic data on rents, where we've seen rents decline. So that's just, remember we went right through all the Americans. Remember we went through like yep. Chicago, New Jersey, pulling all that data. We could never find an era where rents kind of declined. No, it's like, hard like, to like, like, you know, if they declined by oh, an average marginal, of 50 yeah, yeah. bucks or yeah, something, yeah. but yeah, you're never, right. never like the 65% drop. No, but no, no. You we know what, what, you know, what else we learned in the U S that people were doing during that time, just as a point of interest. Remember when we understood the concept of what they were calling strategic defaults? Yeah. So what, yeah, if crazy. you've never heard of this, what some people in the U.S. were doing, they were recognizing that the U.S. banks were taking like a year, 18 months, two years, three years, sometimes four years to foreclose on people because of the glut of foreclosures that hit the market during that last financial crisis. So when some people caught wind of this, they stopped paying their mortgages on their properties and just were keeping all the cash. They were calling it like a strategic default. And then when the... Uh, the banks eventually did foreclose because they stopped paying their mortgages. They took all that money that they had saved up and bought houses for less money for almost cash. And that just kind of blew me away. I mean, when you see the economy working on that way, like the banks working through the foreclosure market like that, and then you know investors on the other side strategically kind of playing a game there. I just had never heard of anything like that before. But you know what? It's, it's just a, it's something to think about that during all economic cycles, there's going to be different opportunities, some that you might agree with and others that you don't want to do yourself personally, don't agree with. But um, sometimes in down markets, there's actually more opportunity for creative financing, creative property acquisition than there is when property prices are screaming upwards and everybody's using kind of conventional financing to buy with them and stuff. And by the way, we're not condoning any strategic default kind of thing. I just thought it was fascinating to hear it. Like I, I'd never heard of that whole thing before. I didn't know, especially not to that detail, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So I think, uh, I think anything else we wanted to share today, I think that covers kind of most of the stuff that we were, where we're at. We, yeah, had, we, just, had zero, just, we had zero agenda for this. So. Yeah, but there's just different ways to look at it. I just think the biggest thing, I guess, that can sometimes f frustrate the, both of us is, is is the stuff that's blasted around in the media, in, in mainstream media. Um, a lot of times, I mean, they have a very difficult job. They need to come up with a newspaper Every, every day. single day, like I can, I could not even imagine that. But they take these numbers, like you, you, t you talked about the GDP numbers that were released, and they went from five point four percent to one point something in like about five or six weeks. Six weeks, yeah. So that stuff gets blasted around. So they come up with this release, a big headline gets created, gets put on there, and you know that's what people see. And 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 sometimes, and everyone's busy, and it's hard for people to go and look kind of behind those numbers to see trends and see things that are truly going on. And you know, and and sometimes it. That, that can be frustrating because there's there's definitely like a bigger picture of stuff going on. And, and there's an opportunity behind the headlines if you just dig a little bit. Yeah. And it makes a big, 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 big difference. And I know, look, a lot of the people that we've worked in the last with in the last 10 years, they've they've come to us and, and they've done feel, well. They've, they've <laughs> well, they've said, you know, they said thanks for for yeah. some of the information that we've shared. And we don't make up the information. We're not super smart. Yeah, to or be fair, like they that. took the risk, took the action. We, they did yeah, all that. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And we just we were able to share some of these behind the scenes stuff that gave them the confidence to make the decisions they made. Um, so, it was, yeah, it was definitely them doing it. I'm not taking any credit for that. But I just mean it just it, the value to to us. There's always been a value to having an information advantage. And that's why we kind of try to dive into this stuff. So we feel that we have at least a partial understanding of what's going on. We by no means think we know everything that's going on behind the scenes, but it gives us some sort of indica indication of what's going on. And, and I think that, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, the trends aren't going to change for me personally. I mean, it, it's, it's more clear than ever that this whole death of the middle class thing that I have been hearing about for a long, long time. I got to be honest with you. Like I, yeah, I, mean, for, I, I it feels feel like, like for almost forever, yeah. but now I feel like we're, maybe we're at the age we're at, we're seeing it happen. Yeah. And I think we're seeing it happen. starting to happen more in, in Canada. And I think the U S is much further ahead of us Agreed. with it. Agreed. And I think maybe that's the difference because We've when we go down to the class. U.S., you see a big difference in it. But but in Canada, it's starting to happen 
more and more. There's the, the, the gap is becoming like bigger it. and it's changing stuff. No, for I definitely don't as well. But it you don't have to. You know, like there's options. You you can do stuff to you know to make the change. Yeah, and I just want to point out to your point about the headlines. When we you've brought you bring this up regularly. When you see a headline in Canada that says you know the Canadian real estate market is overvalued by ten percent or undervalued by ten percent, every community is so different that oh, like you yeah, can't just a, look at a headline in the Globe and Mail that Canada's overpriced by ten percent because there might be a great opportunity in like. Guelph, Ontario, yeah, who know? Yeah, on so a meaningless. student yeah. rental property that's going to cash flow, you know, thousand dollars a month yeah. or something, or a new a new factory's opened up there that's going to bring a thousand jobs. jobs. Uh, like let's say another Toyota plant opens yeah. up in Kitchener, Cambridge yeah, area. So like, real estate's a very local, community-driven yeah. thing. So just always dismiss that. And something we didn't talk about, we'll save it for another time, is just the population growth in the Greater Toronto area. Oh yeah, and immigration into this area um, off the charts. But uh, we can do a chat on that. Uh, there's a lot to chat about that, on that stuff. So, yeah, you've managed to stay pretty calm. You only banged the desk a few times. Yeah, I only got frustrated at the beginning, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll dive into my, it more. Control, we'll talk about I'll, the I'll control the my economic more. anger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Tom Kradz again. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat. And if you want the full experience, the full economic update, that's one of the benefits that Rockstar and our circle members get. Um, we do live uh, events uh, multiple times throughout the year where we give a full economic update. It's become a pretty popular thing. Um, so it's one of the benefits of being a Rockstar Inner Circle member. If you want to check out all the benefits of being a Rockstar Inner Circle member, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. And there you'll see everything that Rockstar Inner Circle members get um, and uh, including these events that we host throughout the year. So um, if you have any feedback on this economic chit chat um, or anything around the economy that you'd like us to be discussing in further detail, you can always email podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. So that's podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. Thanks for giving us feedback. Um, thanks for giving us great reviews on the iTunes store and the podcast. So we appreciate all this stuff. If you haven't, oper- hadn't, have, I cannot speak. If you hadn't, if you haven't had an opportunity to do that yet, um, we'd be grateful if you did. We really uh, appreciate the feedback coming into us. It really helps us guide the show. So thank you for everything. We'll continue uh, putting the episodes out. We've been a little light in the last two weeks. I was away in Jamaica. I'm just getting back, but next week we have uh, two more great episodes scheduled. So uh, I shouldn't say they're great. I don't know if they're actually great, but we're having fun doing them. Maybe that's a better way to explain them. So anyway, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.